Hey, it's Simon with another episode of Turning the Tables. If it's your first time here, a warm welcome. If you're one of the growing band of regular listeners to the podcast, thank you for being part of this journey with me. Let me start with a question. Do you ever get that feeling of being overwhelmed, emotionally drained? That sense of struggling to meet constant demands? When that feeling of physical and mental exhaustion happens over a long period of time, it's called burnout. Very often, the focus of that burnout is work-related. A staggering 75% of people in a Gallup survey reported the symptoms of work-related stress. I would vouch that everyone listening to this podcast can point to feeling burnt out at some point in their working lives. For my guest Imogen Roy, burnout was a dramatic wake-up call. A trilingual Scot living in Paris, Imogen built her career as a brand and marketing consultant, working with businesses and travelling worldwide. But everything came to a juddering halt one day, as she was about to stand up and present to a packed conference centre of business executives. Couldn't eat, couldn't sleep, and the real pinnacle of this, when I finally heard my body's cry for help, was I was in London to speak at a conference. And before I was about to go on stage, I was shaking violently. And this lovely conference facilitator was like, oh, there, there, dear, you're so nervous. You know, don't worry, you'll be fine. And I said, I'm not nervous. This is something else, and I don't know what's wrong with me. And I, I thought, am I about to have a stroke? Am I about to have a heart attack? What is happening? That moment was the catalyst for a complete change and reinvention of Imogen's approach to work. Ten years ago or so, entrepreneur Tim Ferriss's book, The 4-Hour Workweek, became a New York Times bestseller extolling the virtues of a digital life focused on productive work centred around building passive income streams. An attractive concept, but for many, not a realistic career model. Imogen's work philosophy takes a different approach, built around shaping work to your own very personal physical and mental energy. This has seen Imogen reinvent her role as a strategy coach, reduce and completely change her working hours, increase her prices and increase her effectiveness. Perhaps most importantly, it changed her relationship with work and the joy of working. Of course, during this pandemic, the subject of mental health and burnout has been top of mind. So that's where we started our conversation. Welcome to Turning the Tables, Imogen. Great to have you on the show. Thank you, Simon. I thought we could start uh, with a very current set of issues, really, which is the effect of the pandemic on the way people have to live their lives and particularly their working lives. And I think we've seen many people affected 
with mental health issues as a result of that. And, and you're someone who's had experience of burnout in a working context. I wonder if you've talked a little bit about that story. Absolutely. And you're right to say that this year really challenged an awful lot more people when it comes to workplace, mental, emotional and physical health. I mean, last year, the World Health Organization officially recognized burnout as a legitimate professional illness. And it was the first time that many people had had language to put to symptoms or experiences that they had had or had seen others have, um, had seen manifested. And, you know, now we're in a place where many more people will have experienced some of those symptoms. Burnout is, in my view, or maybe just the flavor of my experience, was that it was more of a physical uh, experience than almost a mental one. So often burnout feels like a general falling out of love with life. Things that you previously were really into, passionate about, you enjoyed, you felt a sense of purpose, suddenly... You want to just drop everything, stop what you're doing. You don't care anymore. You don't care about the people. You don't care about the mission. And that can actually be very frightening, especially for people who, are, who love their work and are normally very committed and find it easy to find motivation. That, that happened for you, didn't it? I mean, that was that falling out of love and, and that sort of pressure of... of what you were doing, even though you were in a, a reasonably creative, well, very creative area, weren't you? Yes, absolutely. So my burnout was almost exactly two years ago, November 2018. I'd been self-employed for only about nine months. I'd been very fortunate to have success straight out the gate. I'd been busy working nonstop, working with a lot of exciting small businesses and startups as a brand strategist. And I felt on top of the world. I was loving life. I was enjoying the freedom. I was enjoying learning new things. I was enjoying hopping between all these really exciting clients and projects and you know, working with CEOs closely and learning so much about business and traveling all over the world. And suddenly, I didn't love it at all. And, you know, it started with sort of sense of general irritability and a difficulty in concentrating. And those are very unlike me. And my productivity just evaporated. The things that normally really lit me up, you know, doing a brand strategy workshop, um, writing a brand style guide, signing a new client, suddenly filled me with dread and resentment. I just thought, oh God, not another one. And I, it was, I, I realized something was really wrong because this was so unlike me and I could not find it within myself to self-motivate. Was this purely f around your work or, or did it affect you in other aspects of your life? Oh, it was affecting every aspect of my life. The, the sort of lack of energy and irritability was definitely showing up in my personal life. I was tired was bitter and the physical symptoms got bad too. I I was having agonizing back pain. 
which I had a high tolerance for because I had a I had a history of uh, stress related back problems. So I ignored that for for a long time. But then what really frightened me was um, new symptoms. Eventually, had racing heart rate, couldn't eat, couldn't sleep, and the real pinnacle of this when I finally my finally let my you know heard my body's cry for help was I was in London to speak at a conference, and before I was about to go on stage, I was shaking violently. And this lovely conference facilitator was like, oh, there, there, dear, you're so nervous. You know, don't worry, you'll be fine. And I said, I'm not nervous. This is something else, and I don't know what's wrong with me. And I, I thought, am I about to have a stroke? Am I about to have a heart attack? What is happening? And I, I kind of pleaded with someone, please, I need a, a side room, a quiet room just to gather myself before I go on stage. And, you know, got, it got into a little cubbyhole of this conference center. It was raining, it was really dark outside. And I sat down on the floor and I sort of meditated, trying to find my breath, trying to connect with myself, going, okay, what's going on? What's going on? You know, and you know, I was able to find this place of stillness where I was hearing this heart rate racing and my, you know, I just felt so unlike me. And then I suddenly felt this sort of basking glow <laughs> come all over my body. And it really felt like a completely spiritual experience. And I opened my eyes and actually what had happened was the sun had come out and through this tiny window, the sun was blinding. It was lighting me up. So I laughed a lot about that. You know, oh, this is, it's, it's nothing, it's nothing weird or, or sacred. It is simply the sun has come out. But, um, <laughs> but I did kind of find myself in that moment. I found the strength to go up on stage and deliver a, a I'm sure a riveting <laughs> presentation about social media and data science. And after that, I stepped off the stage and I told myself, I'm, you know, I'm stepping into a new life from this day because I can't go on living like this. Uh, this is not, this is no way to live. And just being able to hold it together and not completely collapse is no way to live one's life. No. Were you able to identify what the root of the problem was? I think I'm still really uncovering what that is, but I have a hint for sure. And I wonder how many people who have found themselves in a similar situation, you know, maybe it wasn't necessarily burnout, but some other kind of mental or emotional distress, physical illness, especially, you know, these mystery physical illnesses and chronic illnesses that a lot of us experience was realizing perhaps how far away I had come from my truth and how much I had uh, taken on, how much I'd been influenced by, you know, I guess social conditioning. You know, sometimes, you know, we ask ourselves, well, how, how did I start believing that I had to work this much or I had to do these things to be successful, that this was the only way to go about something? And in that process of starting to question hang on, who did I learn this from? Where did this come from? And we can't remember who or what or why is, I think, an opportunity for us to think, 
huh, maybe this isn't, this isn't mine. This isn't actually me. This is me dishonoring my own truth in pursuit of a standard or a, a, a design that actually may be completely unrealistic or even physically impossible. I think I was going to say, I think I suspect many people relate to that sense that somehow or other they've got disconnected from themselves in some way being you know i think many people are familiar with being you know if you if you are if you are an achiever in terms of your personality you often are driven by your work and driven by the adrenaline of some kind of success or recognition or achievement or whatever it might be but it's often you know, I know this from my own experience, it's almost like a, a perfect storm of of those characteristics and also in the background, perhaps, as you said, there might have been some illness factors, chronic pain, whatever it might have been, that suddenly all those things come together. Absolutely. And I think you make a good point about the the achiever mindset, the driver mindset is... And actually in this industry, you know, in business and in self-development, there's a lot of talk about mindset. Mindset mindset is everything, mindset is everything. But there's also a group of people who, and I would count myself amongst them, uh, it's actually we need to focus on mindset a little less because it's the mind that is driving this limitless pursuit of productivity and achievement and work completely over any body awareness. And for me, this point of disconnection was absolutely between the mind and the body. And so the root cause really of all my um, physical struggles was that I completely had forgotten that I had a body. <laughs> and I was, I was working against myself. And my mind had completely taken over and was driving my life. But at what cost? And so for me, the initial burnout realization, and it, it was it was genuinely at, at that conference, Googling on my phone, what is burnout? <laughs> because I suddenly had a realization that may, I'd heard this word used before and I didn't actually know what it meant. And maybe this could help explain some of my strange symptoms. And, you know, it, it all correlated. And I thought, oh, maybe maybe I'm actually burned out. That's what I, what's happening to me. And it was really, a, it was a physical healing process. It was not a mental one. I mean, it's interesting because, uh, I mean, the, uh, you're talking about this disconnect between the sort of body, the physiology of the body and, and the mind. And there's now an enormous amount of research, scientific research, which is supporting the fact that, you know, you have many different processes going on. Um, and particularly that the processes which are, which are around instinct, which you know, people would call gut instincts, have been pretty much submerged underneath the, the thinking brain, which is sort of driving a lot of, a lot of our behaviour. And it, it sounds like that disconnect was a very important part of what happened to you. Yes, absolutely. And now I teach people, or I remind people, that the brain or the mind is simply an assistant to the body. The mind's job is to collect the information that the body is producing 
and sorting through it and processing and interpreting it and then presenting some options of what it might mean or what the message might be or what we could do. But it's not where the decision happens. The decision happens uh, in the emotions or in the gut or in you know the, the fear center or in the heart. Uh, or in your bones, <laughs> and it's we've we've kind of lost our way a bit in mm. outsourcing the entire. Um, you know, the, the brain is is an incredible organ, and it can do some very very wonderful things. But it's it's actually an information processing center, and if we don't feed it enough information to process, it has nothing to work on. You know. So if we don't actually, you know, allow the body to share the information it has, we don't have enough data to make a good decision on. Mm. So you, so you had this moment at, at the conference, and you came away and you made a decision that things had to change. What happened next? Well, as you can imagine, <laughs> when I was reading what to do when you think you have burnout. All the advice I could find was tell your manager, get some, get medical leave, <laughs> take at least two weeks off work and drop everything. <laughs> and I thought, well, that's lovely if you have a manager and you, you have someone covering for you and you can do that. But if you're self-employed, I couldn't. The biggest thing for me was just in my daily actions, showing my body that I was finally listening and actually speaking to myself, saying, I hear you. This is, a, I'm going to, I'm going to do something about this. I promise we're going to work through this together. We are going to heal. You're not going to power through. Yes. <laughs> yes. It was really like getting the two parts of me the the overachieving performance driven mind that just gotten the egomaniac mind and the 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 suffering body to talk to to heal that relationship you know okay let's work together let's um, try and overcome this conflict and let's let's get to know each other again. I'm just wondering, as you're talking, whether now, looking back, you recognise something in yourself that took you down that path of of that, obviously, work-related emotional stress and anxiety. Was there something in your makeup you can sort of say, actually, I think that might have contributed to it? Yes, probably. Um, I also do believe that... Uh, often, you know, our, our greatest truths about how we should go about life or our greatest gifts, um, you know, we we don't believe they're good enough. So we strive to work to fill up the places where we're empty. And actually, you know, I've realized that I'm someone who is is not here to work in a sense that I'm more here to guide other people who are doing great work. But the best work that I can do is to have a, as little a physically taxing life as possible so that I have the real mental clarity and power of observation to, to you know, perceive what other people cannot see. And if I'm overworking myself, I completely lose that ability. And 
And so I think for a long time I denied, I, I, I didn't believe that that was worthy enough as a gift to offer others that, you know, that I had to be a hard worker and, uh, you know, I'd come from a family of people who, you know, Scottish Protestants, it's, you know, we have a very strong work ethic. It's all about mm. work, really. Mm. A lot of people point to this relationship between feeling like they have to prove something either to themselves or sometimes it's in it's family, um, it, it, you know, and that drives that desire to achieve, but it's covering up a sort of a lack of confidence in many ways about about one's ability. Yes, and I remember, you know, as a child, I always just knew things. They just came into my awareness and I didn't have to do anything to have discovered them, to have investigated them. And, you know, as I as I grew up, I in my through my interactions with other people, I learned that this wasn't this was odd. That you don't people didn't just know things. You had to, you know, experience things or discover them or study them or do something or make something or learn something yourself. And so I think from this I learned that I would have to prove that I had somehow uh, gained this insight through effort <laughs> and that just just having it on its own was not worthy. The brain is this you know, very efficient machine. It's constantly doing everything it can to save energy and save calories. So it protects us from a lot of unknowingness. Um, and this is where, you know, actually letting the mind kind of take more of an assistant role and put the instinctive data front and foremost, suddenly you start to realize, well, we actually do know the answer to that. I do mm. know how I feel about that. No, I actually do know how that decision is being made. And maybe I can just trust that I'm just going to go with that. I don't need to now justify, rationalize, talk it through, make a logical framework, uh, you know, tear my tear my hair out about it. It is just what it is. Um, and I think for me, returning to that state that I can trust my own knowingness without having to do a lot of work to justify why I know that has been an enormous sense of reclaiming my own energy and... Um, trust in myself and not have not mm. feeling like I have to prove to myself mm. or anyone else that you know it's just a sort of slightly more sh more direct way of going about living to be quite honest well it's tr it's trusting your instincts isn't it R rather than sort of allowing the brain to do an evaluation of every single thing that you have a, an instinctive reaction to so it, it, uh, I'm thinking it sounds like you've almost developed a new sort of manifesto for the way you where you're going to operate, particularly in the working context. How, what, what does that look like? I guess I have. That's not to say that I've completely changed my ways. <laughs> And actually, I... That would be too easy, wouldn't it, if we did? You know, the, I think the greatest teachers are the ones that had, had took the longest to learn those lessons, and that's why they have to keep teaching them, is to actually remind themselves. Um, yes, I, I have definitely created my own new way of living, which is a lot more led from my body, uh, led from my inner feeling sense, connected to my own knowingness before I start looking outside of myself. And I've reversed 
a lot of the ways that I used to go about work and, and life, you know, I, you know, I design the lifestyle I want to live and then I find the work that's going to deliver that lifestyle for me as, a, as opposed to getting work and then seeing what, what life I can eke out around the edges. Yeah. And I have a lot more awareness and, uh, of my own body, how it works, what it needs from me. And that was a beautiful realization, actually, because our bodies are just magnificent. They are incredible. They have all these superpowers that we've never even bothered to learn, let alone experience. It sounds like it's a, it's a bit more purposefully designed. Oh, 100%. As opposed to thing, things just sort of emerge. I mean, I, I imagine people listening to this, they may be thinking that that sounds great, but... How, on a practical level, how did you make this change? Because lots of lots of entrepreneurs, people at work, you know, they have client commitments, they have work they have to do, and often they can't see their way out of that in order to make the choices that you clearly have made about working more around, you know, what, what works for you on a human level. So how did you practically go about doing that? Well, I think you hit the nail on the head right there, which is how to work out what works for you. And so I did I, I did do these experiments where, and I guess I, I got the courage to do the experiments because I had nothing left to lose. And I was starting again from scratch. And I also had gotten to a place where I really was thinking, it does even if I have to, you know, have my career take a take a dive for a year, and I actually, you know, what if maybe I don't work for a whole year? Um, I think it's going to be worth it because I've really ruined myself, and I can't go back. I, I can't. It's impossible for me to actually keep up anymore. Gave me the courage to go. Okay, if I'm giving myself a year. Um, how will I allow myself to live? And so this year of magical living began of me questioning every assumption I had about how one should work and live and thinking, okay, but what if I did it this way? You know, so a lot of things I simply reversed. Um, I thought, you know, okay, so normally I would be getting up and working from 9 a.m. because that's when work starts, right? And instead I thought, okay, I'll I'll just... I'll spend the morning raising my energy, whether that's moving my body or meditating or having a really low, slow, luxurious breakfast and just, you know, pottering around. And then when I feel like I'm ready to work, then I'll sit down and work. And sometimes that was 10 a.m., sometimes that was 12, sometimes it was 2 p.m. It was different every day. And, I, you know, I got clients, actually. Uh, I was very selective about who I worked with, and I raised my prices by 50% so that I, I could work less. But I, you know, I allowed myself to evaluate those clients. You know, are they a sole client? Are they going to be a, a fit in terms of philosophy as well as skill set? And I allowed myself to be much more selective because I had the sense that I could live without them. And what I learned from all of these experiments, and I'm not going to lie, you know, at the time I was terrified. I thought, the, you know, if people find out that I'm waltzing around an ice rink on a Wednesday morning at 2 p.m., they're going to fire me. They're going to think I'm so selfish. They're going to think I'm deluded, that I'm unprofessional, that I'm not serious. 
And I was really, really worried about what people think of me. But the truth is, is that none, nothing happened. I set all these boundaries that I thought were insanely selfish. <gasps> I'm, only gonna, I'm only giving them a, a, a one-hour slot every day to call me. How, how unaccommodating of me. How unprofessional. I'm a consultant. I should always be available for my clients. But yet, everyone accepted it. No problem. No questions asked. No, no pushback. And so over time, you know, the more... I started small, but I kept pushing the boundaries even more. But what if I did this? And what if I did this? And what if I actually don't even start work till, till 1 p.m.? And I started to realize that not only did no one have a problem with it, but that I was starting to feel so good and so energized. That's interesting. That's an interesting <laughs> turning the tables really isn't it on the whole, on the whole subject matter so based on what you've learned from your own experience i suppose the question i wanted to ask was how would you design work differently given what you know accepting that not everybody works on their own obviously some people work within companies and that's perfectly legitimate but how would work look different if it met the criteria you just talked about? Well, in my perfect world, everyone would be so connected to their own inner truth of what they need and how they work best that we would. everyone's job would simply be to help everyone else work in the way that works best for them. Because this, this is the thing, right? I've, through this experiment and this experience... I figured out how I work best. And actually, you know, one thing I do want to mention is this year of magical living, I actually gave myself a lot of structure. But it was a structure that was all about helping me give my body what it needed first. Whereas before, the structure I'd had was all about getting work done. What I actually learned was I'm actually a very unstructured person. I actually live and work best when... I can just flow and do whatever I feel like doing in the moment because, and also I trust, when I can trust my body, I can trust myself to get everything done. And so actually I don't have a productivity planner anymore. I don't necessarily have uh, a rigid schedule and that works best for me. But it took that experimentation to know that. However, there are going to be people who really thrive with structure and they, they're going to operate best within that. I think that's it's really interesting, isn't it? And I guess the challenge for, certainly in a corporate context for that, has to be a very strong belief that you can maximise the productiveness of people. I mean, in a, in a positive way, I, you'll get better ideas and you'll get more of the right kind of commitment. You know, they'll be more effective in the work they do. They'll make better decisions as a result of this as opposed to, I think the anxiety would probably be, will it end up with people who are effectively only working at 50% capacity and therefore how does that make that work? So I think that's the challenge, isn't it? Right now, most people are operating at 50% or lower capacity. Like when I think about myself, yep. what I actually got done in corporate first and then you know, in my first year as a consultant, versus actually what I get done now, you can't even compare. 
And yet the actual number of hours spent, quote unquote, working in a work, it's, it's, you know, night and day. So I think already we have a massive productivity issue in the current system where people are not actually productive. There's a lot of, there's a lot of energy wastage. There's a lot of, um, you know, inefficiencies. People are tired and therefore they can't actually produce, you know, they can't bring forth anything that's useful. Um, but, you know, we're getting to a point where actually maybe the, there is the, the, only, the only solution is to try something else because the status quo isn't working. It's not. And I think especially this year, you know, we're coming to the end of 2020, I think everyone can look around and go, this is not working for anyone. You know, how are we going to do things differently going forward? So what's next for you? You're now armed with your recipe for how you think, well, how work works best for you. What's Imogen Roy's future looking like? <laughs> well, my immediate future is... You know, I'm still learning these lessons again and again. Um, I, I've never, I, I'm still in love with my work. <laughs> it's easy for me to want to output more things. And so this isn't just something that I've put away and I've forgotten about. I have to, you know, remind myself of these teachings every single day. And, mm. you know, and that's also why I teach them to others because. Every time I teach them, I, I remind myself of these. Remind yourself, yeah. So, um, well, what's next for me? I am, you know, coaching business owners and also creatives. And actually, it's not even business owners anymore. I teach people who have careers in corporate who just want to design a new role that doesn't exist yet and go to their manager and say, I have designed my perfect job. Here's a job description. Hire me. Um, I've, you know, I'm coaching scientists and artists and novelists and you know, basically anyone who knows deep down that they, there is another way for them to go about what they're currently doing, but they just, it's like they're holding a big, beautiful key, but they don't know which door it opens. And so my job really as a coach is to help them find out, you know, what's the door or what are the doors that you can now unlock with this beautiful key? And how can you start to live, design your life more proactively and actually live and work in this way that is uniquely suited to you? That sounds very empowering. Hopefully, <laughs> but I'm also someone. <laughs> well, that's the idea, anyway. <laughs> yeah, and I'm also, you know, for me, what I've learned about myself in this whole process is I have to create. Uh, I have to be creating things, um, making making things, you know, ha having experiments in my own life, and then creating things that I've discovered. And so, to me, it's not even, you know, I, I have to, I have to sell these things. I have to, you know, they have to work. For me, it's also a product of, you know, it's an experiment, you know, oh, I wonder what will happen if, you know, maybe this would be interesting. Maybe this would, getting feedback, testing things. Um, you know, it's a really fulfilling part of working for yourself is actually, I can, I can make whatever I want and test it and see what happens. And if it doesn't work, I can try something else. Fantastic. Where can people get in contact with you? Best place is to go to my website, which is www.imogenroy.com. I am O G E N R O Y. <laughs> and it'll be in the show notes. And I'm really interested to hear from anyone who has either been inspired by this conversation to try some experiments in how they're currently living or working, or they would like some ideas for some experiments. I have many of those up my sleeve. So please do not hesitate to reach out to me. I'm really, really passionate about helping people, uh, you know, try this kind of 
work in their own lives. So do reach out. That sounds really interesting. One last question I'm asking everybody now. If there was a piece of music that best brought to life the life you're living now, what would that be? Oh, that's a really beautiful question. Mm. I just love so much uh, Vivaldi's Four Seasons. It is just such a soaring, the entire symphony, it's like the entire human experience in one piece of music. And I never, ever get tired of, you know, being so profoundly moved by these, you know, incredible peaks and almost sublime moments where you feel fully transported, followed by these low, you know, it's, it's, it's exhilarating and frightening. And, you know, when you're listening to, to that, you can't really do anything else. You can only be fully present for the music. Yeah. I was going to say it's also very apposite, really, given your point about connecting with, with you know, your own nature. And Yes, it's very true. Thank you ever so much. That was great. Really good to talk to you. And thanks for coming on the show. It's been a pleasure, Simon. Thank you. Brilliant. Listening to Imogen's story and remembering my own experience and what is happening during the pandemic, it seems to me that we really have to look hard at the way we approach work. There is a responsibility for us as individuals, for companies and for governments to recognise the mental, physical and financial costs of an increasingly 24-7, always switched on work life. Imogen's approach challenges us to think about the possibilities of working in a way which respects us as individuals, rather than being driven by a model imposed by societal or personal expectations. At the very least, I can't help thinking we should be educating our young adults to be able to recognise the choices they have in deciding how to approach their working lives. Until next time, stay safe. Thank you for listening to this episode of Turning the Tables. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe and be sure to listen out for the next episode, where I again will be exploring with my guests how they turned adversity into advantage. See you next time. Go safely. <laughs>